Yud Shvat, the Yotzat of the Friedrich Rebbe, challenges us to learn from his example about how we're supposed to live in his footsteps. The Friedrich Rebbe being a person absolutely dedicated to selfless sacrifice on Hashem's behalf and at the same time translating that sacrifice into real down-to-earth solutions for what the Jewish world needs. And that's what we have to apply in our own lives. The means, the, the message of a passing of a tzaddik, the yard side of a tzaddik, which becomes the date that all of his effort and investment and work is elevated to its zenith, is Faraon's It leaves for us the challenge to contemplate his actions, behavior, and avoider from Balai Lula of the person whose yard side it is, with the purpose that we should learn, we who follow in his footsteps, what it is that we're supposed to apply in our own lives, in in our own actions, in our own learning, and in our own avoider. Of course, every single person through the course of an entire lifetime has many things that they've done, learned, and involved in their avoidance Hashem. If that's true of every person, how much more so of a Rebbe? Is the Rebbe nitalamol borav a golivos eses din akude ikris for navidosoi? So it becomes difficult to extract the salient points of what are the main features of that individual's avoider. Vos from them dafan arosem dikahira, which would then give us our primary lesson of what we're supposed to learn in our lives. Menido in didano be the yotzem chakmechad mor. But here, dealing with the fidikrebes yotzeit, hotman dach diklara hira. We have clear instructions. The Torah, which is the teachings, which of course the word Torah implies the word lessons, from from the Friedrich Rebbe, what we're supposed to do. We have our marching orders. Where are we going to find them? In the very famous Maimah that the Friedrich Rebbe left for us, the Maimah Dibra What a gift! The Friedrich Rebbe prepared a Maimah for his Histalkos for us to use as the marching orders of what we're supposed to do. That Torah, that Maimer, gives us clarity on what we're supposed to contemplate and learn about on the, the Yerzat of, of the Friedrich Rebbe. And what we should supposed to extract from that learning to apply in practice in our lives. Where will we find the lesson? So we're going to focus at the end of the Maimer Basile so what does the Friedrich Rebbe speak about at the end of the Maimer? Zrizus, enthusiasm and moving quickly when it comes to issues around how we serve Hashem. And he says, why is it that you have to be so motivated and so quick to act? Because who knows? Who knows the length of time that they have in which to do this avoider? Like the Medrash says, nobody gets an, a heads up so they can say, whoa, hang on, I just want to sort out my family, I just want to sort out my affairs. No such thing. Therefore, we've got to grab every opportunity to do what they wish to once while we can. So if that case, enthusiasm and, and speed when we come to do what the Ebishta wants, to do things with passion and with alacrity, is not a detail. In fact, it's something so central to the whole of the experience of Judaism that you find the Gemara tells us, or the Med- Medrash tells us, that we're not allowed to allow mitzvahs to become chomets. That is not just a detail within Judaism, that is something that affects the entire perspective we're supposed to have on our Judaism. If a person's not driven enough, not quick enough, not on the ball, they could lose everything. That teaching that nobody has the control to say, whoa, whoa, let me finish what I'm doing, is is something that applies every moment of every single day on this earth, over 120 years. In fact, if we go back to the quotation of the Mechilta about mitzvahs not becoming chomets, look at what it says. Number one, there's this principle, don't allow mitzvahs to become chomets. In other words, to pass the sell-by date. 
And then it goes further. As soon as a mitzvah comes to your hand, as soon as you have the opportunity, grab that opportunity immediately. If we postpone a mitzvah, instead of guarding the matzahs from where we learn that you're supposed to guard the mitzvahs, it actually turns into something which is anti the mitzvah, which is the opposite of something positive. That's the end of the Maimah. So the end of the Maimah is about Zrizos. The beginning of the Maimah tells us what the Avoidah should be focused on. In other words, where the Zrizos has to be, in which areas. We have to be incredibly driven to fulfill Hashem's desire to have a home in the lowest realm. Now we're going to take that apart and analyze that there are actually three elements to that statement. Each of those elements is absolutely relevant and we have to be enthusiastic about all three of those elements. Of course, every single mitzvah that we do, every Torah learning that we do, and likewise, every mundane activity that we do with the direction of serving Hashem, will create this home for Hashem in the lowest worlds. Which in turn will complete the Ebishter's desire. But you can understand that the lesson we're supposed to extract from the fact that Debishta wants a home in the lowest realm, which is the lesson from the Friedrich Abbasiotzeit, is that's not just like a general thought that generally do Torah mitzvahs, because generally that will create a home for Hashem. It's a very specific, exact. Uh, instruction. In it's telling us where we have to focus. is a focal area of our avoida. And that is Matim And as we shall see, this matches perfectly with the style of avoida that was unique to the Friedrich Rebbe. So to get there, let's break the statement apart into three parts. So let's look at the specific language that Friedrich Rebbe quotes, which is, desired to have for his, himself a home, a place of permanent residence, in the lowest realm, which tells us that Abish's desire has three elements to it, that it should be directed towards himself, Bez dira, it should be a place of resonance. Gimel it has to only play, it can only play out in the lowest realm. So let's unpack that. Alef lo tells us, the intention of this so-called home is that it should be a place for Hashem's essence. It's not a place for there to be divine revelation, spiritual experiences. No, this is directed towards Hashem's essence. Number two base, dira, it's got to be a home, which means the way in which that presence of Hashem's essence should manifest has to be, is not a temporary or passing experience. It should be like a home, which is or something which is a permanent concept. So we're trying to get in touch with the Eibishter's essence in a permanent way, and where would that play out? Gimel b'sachtoi nim dafke in the lowest possible reality. The diralatzmus is dafke b'sachtoi nim nit be'elam asilyonim. This incredible place that will accommodate Hashem's essence will be in the least spiritual space, not in the higher realms. Now, as we'll learn, all three of these are interdependent. The drayin yonim zayin toli if we're talking from a perspective of what can be radiated, shared, experienced, described, basically the revealed elements of divine energy, even if you're at the highest types of giluim that are available, because none of them exist innately. Any giluim is something that Hashem has generated, shared, given, wasn't always there. And especially when you consider it's because the Ebishter chose to share or give or radiate. They cannot be permanent. Because they're not innate existences. It means to say they don't exist fundamentally. They exist because Hashem wants them to exist. And that means he could decide for them not to exist. So they're not permanent. 
So anything which can have some kind of bounds or definition is moving as a gilis blaze dort it's anything which has bounds anything which has has uh, its its own parameters can only exist in a place that accommodates parameters what parameters parameters of godliness our lowly world which is not designed to accommodate godliness if all that's going to happen is a revelation of godliness, well, that would be too intense and powerful for our world. It can never happen in our world. You want revealed godliness, you've got to go to higher worlds where there are stronger kalim, broader kalim that can accommodate it. But when you're looking from the perspective of Hashem's essence, Hashem's essence is not something that at one point is hidden and subsequently is revealed. It's something that can never shift or change or, or morph or mutate. Because the existence of Hashem's essence is intrinsic, is absolute, will always be, doesn't rely on any external force. So then when that essence is brought into the world, although you can't really use the word brought in when you're talking about Hashem's essence. So when Hashem's essence manifests in the world, it will be absolutely permanent because just as Hashem's essence can never fade or decline, so the presence of Hashem's essence will never fade or decline. And that whole thing will play out specifically in the lowest possible realm. Because the highest spiritual realms, they're places of giluyim. They live off divine revelation, the inspiration, the awareness, the insight. But all of that revelation and insight, etc., is all a degradation. It's a movement away from Hashem's essence, as the Altrebbe says in Tanya. So therefore, they are not designed to accommodate Hashem's essence. They're designed to accommodate what Hashem will reveal and share, not His essence. It's specifically in our world, which is devoid of all this great spiritual pizzazz. Is ironically the place most suited to accommodate Hashem's essence. And that translates into what we're supposed to be doing about this, because that's just a description of the objective. But remember, we're talking about our avoider to make the dirapatachtonim. So now our avoider has to have three elements to it that match the three elements of what the result is. Of course, whatever you want to create, you have to work in a way that aligns with what you want as a result. In order for us to make this world into Hashem's home, our efforts have to align with the objective we want to create, which is a home for Hashem in this world. Something that will be a home permanent, for Hashem's essence, in the lowest realm. So let's unpack that. The first thing is, our avoider, like the dira is for Hashem's essence, our avoider has to be directed to Hashem's essence, which means, Why are we doing Torah mitzvahs? Because it's what the Eibishter wants. That we'll fulfill what Hashem's ratzon is. The desire he had for a home in the lower realm. Certainly not to do teremitzvahs so that we could be rewarded either, either in this world or the next. Certainly not. That would be a distraction from loy yisbarach. But even beyond that, our motivation to do teremitzvahs can't even be so that we will have a bond with Hashem. And not only that, to do Torah mitzvahs, it can't even be, I want to do Torah mitzvahs so that I have the merit of fulfilling Hashem's will. No, so means, why do we do what Hashem wants from us? Because that's what the Ebishter wants. Not because I need to know that I fulfilled what Hashem wants. The fact that the Ebishter wants it is the driving force. Number two, Bay is Dira. It's got to be permanent. Meaning to say, our avoider has to be consistent. 
Das heißt nicht, als der Adam Ovid steht, weil wir das in Shinoyim. In other words, the person who's doing the Avoider shouldn't be all over the place, changing constantly. Er ist nicht in demselben Tekev mit Midas Kolasman, where the person doesn't have the same drive for the Terra Mitzvahs at all times. Was das war weiß, als einer wird es nicht bei von Schildira, Kvius, nur bei von Arai. If a person has their ups and downs, then that implies that the person is not living their Avoida in a way of Dira as a permanent structure. It's not, it's a flighty structure. And lastly, Gimel Besachtonim, where does the Avoida play out? Where is the staging area of our Avoida in the lowest realms? Which means not just that we're humans on earth, which is the lowest reality, but within our Avoida, this will be a big part of what we focus on over here in, in the Sicha. We actually have to focus most of our energy and efforts into the Avoida that deals with apparently lowly, less spiritual activities. Whether that relates to Torah, to mitzvahs, or to Jews, as we'll see. We're going to speak about all three of those. In the same way as we said, the only way you could have a dear, a permanent experience of Elekus in the lowest world would have to be that it's Loyus Baruch Hashem's essence. So in a similar vein, we're going to see the interdependency of the three elements that are necessary in our avoida. That our avoida is completely lishma, directed towards Hashem without personal gain and interest in a permanent way. And yet at the same time deals with what apparently seem to be the most superficial Elements of Avoida. As long as a person's Avoida is somehow focused on what am I going to get out of this, even with what I'm going to get out of it is a bond with Hashem, or what I'm going to get out of it is I was the facilitator of Hashem's will. But still with that little bit of sense of look what I did. As long as Avoida has a vested personal interest, it won't be consistent. It's always capable of fluctuating. Depending on how the person feels and how much love of Hashem is part of their reality at any given time. So it's not consistent, therefore it doesn't fulfill the requirement of a dira, a permanent structure. Also, the person will prioritize different parts of Avoida based on personal interests. Whether the person would rather prioritize things that seem to be more sophisticated and more elevated or things that seem to be simpler. Could be the simpler things don't excite the person to the same extent. So if the person is not serving the Ebishter just because that's what the Ebishter wants, the likelihood is that they will overlook certain areas of Torah because they don't really speak to me. Specifically when a person's avoider is committed to Hashem. To be able to fulfill Hashem's intentions. Well, then everything is on an equal platform. Whatever's going to take him to that objective is on an equal platform. So, first of all, the passion and commitment will be uniform right across the board because it's always about what the Abishna wants. It was never about me, so I can't wane when I'm not in a good mood. So, therefore, it's a dira, it's permanent. And because what the Ebishter's desire is, is that the entire experience of Dira happens in the lowest realms. The person doesn't have this, oh, I need, I need the inspiration, I need this mental stimulation. It's, if the Ebishter wants to be in the lowest world, then I'm going I'm to facilitate that in the lowest world. So what we'll do now is see how the Friedrich Rebbe modeled this and from that learn what to apply in our lives. We see all three facets in the Friedrich Rebbe's Avoida. Something known, the Rebbe has discussed it previously. Throughout his entire leadership, and even before the Friedrich Rebbe was Rebbe, everything that he did about spreading Torah and strengthening Yiddishkeit was always Messias Nefesh, even from a child, right through. To borrow a phrase that the Friedrich Rebbe uses in Bosse where he says, Beyond what is rational. 
When a person is dedicated to the Ebishter to the point of absolute sacrifice, then we know that that person is not motivated by reward, even spiritual reward. And certainly not the person is not motivated by becoming a whole person, a holistic person. Look what I've done, look what I've achieved. And not only that, that is a person who has real mysterious nefesh, is not even looking for the opportunity to be bound to the Ebishter. Somebody who's living consistently with sacrifice is obviously focused only on Hashem. And their own personal existence doesn't even come into the picture. Now, especially when you look at something like along the lines of the Friedrich Rebbe, where he literally threw his life on the line. In order to spread Torah and in order to strengthen Judaism. That's more than Messias Nefesh. Messias Nefesh is usually when it's an issue of Yarg Val Yavor. Here we're talking about which is not necessarily something that Shulchan Aruch would dictate to you that you sacrifice your life and yet the Rebbe does. What does that tell you? That tells you it's not about him. It's not about fulfilling a mitzvah. Is it halachically compliant or not? It's about what does the Ebishtah want? How do I do it? That mysterious nefesh, absolute dedication to Hashem, was completely consistent right throughout his leadership. And it played out in different forms and all the various forms of mysterious nefesh. The mysterious nefesh are facing up to Stalinist Russia, the mysterious nefesh are facing up to secular America. As the Rebbe spoke in great detail about the three major decades of, well, three decades of the Friedrich Rebbe's leadership in Stalinist Russia, on the run, and particularly when you consider during the Holocaust, and then, of course, facing the assimilation challenge of, of America. As in the the fact that they were completely different styles and methods of serving the Ebishter is by him given the Zelbo take of Messias Nefesh. The, the commitment and the ability of Messias Nefesh never wavered, never changed. That is Loyus Baruch. That is somebody who's completely committed to what the Ebishter needs, not what I feel at this particular moment. So, besides the fact that Messias Nefesh is an indication of a person whose avoider is not temporary, not kavius bilishinoyim, but a person who is absolutely committed, permanently, consistently, without change, even though circumstances have changed and become so difficult. And the reason for that is because Messias Nefesh draws on, the, draws on the essence of a person's neshama vosis which is unchangeable, immutable. Besides the concept that Messias Nefesh speaks the language of the essence of the Neshama, in the Friedrich Rebbe's case, you see it come out practically as the in the Alla Fashidna Sotna Avoidas is by him given the Zelbotaker from Messias Nefesh. And the fact not only is Messias Nefesh a measure of consistency of commitment to Hashem, but in the Friedrich Rebbe's case, you see it. Different scenarios which require completely different strategies and different approaches, and yet the same Messias Nefesh right throughout. So even though, as we've discussed, there's this commitment to strengthening and sharing Torah and mitzvahs across all different scenarios, Hotman is going to bring us to the third point. We're going to see these three areas that the Friedrich Rebbe focused on, which speak the language of Tachtoyne. Firstly, to create systems, yeshivas, classes, to teach people practical rabbinics. Practical halacha. So there would be people who could actually direct others how you behave as a Jewish person and thereby and then spreading out those rabbis as assets through our communities across the world. Secondly, and then encouraging all kinds of Jewish people from all walks of life to get to do practical mitzvahs. And the way that that happened is sending people, practitioners, who could help Jews do mitzvahs. A moel, somebody could build a mikveh, etc. 
And thirdly, in the Minyan from Chinech Al-Taras HaKedosh from Tenekesh the third area of focus of the Friedrich Rebbe was to create schooling systems for children that would have the highest level of pure Chinuch. Miyasetz and Chazdorim, setting up those school systems, Shikim Lamdim Chulei, sending teachers to those school systems, etc. As we shall explain, all three of these things speak to the lower, so to speak, or lesser or simpler elements of Judaism. So let's understand. There are many ways that people could learn Torah. Of course, the highest, most advanced kind of Torah learning that could happen is if you're in the Ebeshtu's Yeshiva on high. Then there's the experience of how you learn Torah as a human on earth. And humans on earth learn Torah at various levels with various motivations. Let's look at some of them. There's a concept of learning Torah in a completely abstract concept in order to have the, the reward of the mitzvah of learning Torah. Then there's the concept of the Agdil Torah V'yadr, to learn Torah in such a way that you actually stimulate more Torah learning and more appreciation of Torah. And then you have learning with the intention of knowing what the practical halacha is in real life. We could actually break these into two groups. They are the elevated Torah processes and the lower Torah processes. When a person is engaged and has enthusiasm for the part of Torah that is all about broadening ideas and to helping to raise the stature of Torah, or any type of learning that is not focused on practical application in halacha, then is a bigger fakocht in the shakla v'tariyah from Torah. Then the person's primary focus is all the, the, the debate and, and the analysis of a concept in Torah. For which a person gets tremendous energy and pleasure from the wisdom and brilliance of the Torah. Whereas when a person is learning because they need to work out the practical halacha, the person doesn't spend as much time and energy in the, the theory of the Torah, the academics of the Torah, not sufficient, but rather in the execution of, okay, so how does this actually work in practice? Is this kosher or is it not kosher? And that's similar to when it comes to doing practical mitzvahs. Generally speaking, doing a physical action, albeit a mitzvah, is not as sophisticated and spiritually elevated as studying in-depth Torah. The truth is that even in mitzvahs, there's mitzvahs, and then there's mitzvahs maizis. So mitzvahs, legabe Torah, mitzvahs compared to Torah, you could say mitzvahs are, so to speak, less spiritual, less sophisticated. But then there's mitzvahs within Torah. What, what does it mean mitzvahs within Torah? So let's say, for example, nowadays we don't have a base amigdash, we can't bring a carbon oil. But if you learn the laws of the oil, it's considered as if you brought the carbon oil. So now you've got a mitzvah that is fulfilled within the scope of Torah. There are many other examples of situations where you can't actually do the mitzvah for whatever limited reasons. So then we learn the Torah around that mitzvah. And it's a great thing and it's the next best, but it's only as if you did the mitzvah. It's not the same as action. So it's mitzvah living in the world of Torah, the world of academia. Then, of course, you have the intention that accompanies a mitzvah, which is part of the mitzvah experience, but is still a Torah-like part, because it's in your mind, it's in your intention, your focus. Let's go back to that Euler offering example. Let's say you're living in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. You could have a Jew who doesn't know the first thing about any of the halachas of a korban. But he realized there's a korban, there's a koyen. I'll give my animal to the koyen. He processes the korban. While he's doing that, the lady is doing his thing on the platform of Levim. And the designated Yisrael representatives are watching. So they're, so to speak, like the, the, the people bringing the sacrifice. 
Doesn't make the mitzvah. The person's done the mitzvah. Now look at that. There's no intention. There's no knowledge. There's no learning. None of the sophisticated stuff. There's just the rudimentary practicality. Bringing the animal, giving it to the kohen, he's done the mitzvah. Or befratius says more specifically. Even doing that mitzvah, that physical mitzvah, there's part of that you talk, you speak to the Kohen, here's my korban, please designate it as an oiler, on my behalf, this is my name, because it's got to be the Shema, whatever he's got to do. There's a speech aspect of the mitzvah. And of course there's an intention that accompanies every mitzvah. So the action part of a mitzvah is the lowest part of the whole spiritual spectrum of Judaism. You've got the deep theological academic part of Torah learning, which is at the top. Then you've got practical learning. Then you've got intention of mitzvahs. Then you've got learning as if you did the mitzvah. And then you've got the thoughts of, of the mitzvah you're doing, the words around the mitzvah. And you come to the tachlis, to the ma'isa before, that's the tachtoinim. Now the same concept applies with, let's say we go out and learn Torah with people. Who do we learn with? The limit from when a person learns with little children, especially when they're new to what they're learning, they're just learning the letters, they don't even know the words yet to learn Torah. That is the lowest realm of the teaching process. So what do we have? In learning, it's where you're learning the halacha, that's the lowest part of the learning process. In Judaism, it's the action that's the lowest part of the whole Jewish experience. In teaching, it's teaching first-class first students, meaning to say their first, first time in a classroom, the simplest kind of learning. Now somebody is engaged in these three areas is somebody who's motivated by what Abishta wants, not what I want or what I need or the feeling I'm going to have. If a person thinks of themselves as still being worth consideration in this whole discussion, well, then a person's going to focus on the most elevated, sophisticated spiritual parts of what Judaism has to offer. In the seichel, the intellectual part, and even beyond the intellect, the person wants to engage with the divine light that is to be found within Torah. is a great so who's that person going to learn Torah with? Like-minded people who can handle that sophisticated level of Torah learning. Whether it be the revealed elements of Torah. And certainly if the person's objective is to learn the more mystical, esoteric parts of Torah, because then you really want somebody who is at your level. That will help the person to see and experience what? Revealed godliness in the world. Ooh, that's going to be amazing. I'd love to have that. But when a person's learning because I need to determine the halacha for practical reasons. And likewise, when a person learns the simplest aleph base with a child. In dem, well, if the person was self motivated, he's going to say, that doesn't interest me. I don't see the bells and whistles. I, I, I don't see the big lights and sound show. Why would I do this? It's not going to spiritually stimulate me. Similarly, if a person is self-interested, then when it comes to doing mitzvahs, the meditation that precedes the mitzvah, the intention of the mitzvah, that's interesting. The practical, you got to do it. You have to do the mitzvah practically, but that's not what I'm really engaged with. I'd much rather be in the intellectual, spiritual space of the mitzvah. Specifically, when a person's avoider is directed to the Eibishter. I'm serving the Eibishter. That I want to ensure the Eibishter's kavana is fulfilled. Not I want to ensure I am the catalyst of fulfilling his kavana. I just want to make sure generically that David's kavana is fulfilled. That means that the practitioner, the person doing this Torah mitzvah, is invisible in the process. Then you'll find that that person actually spends the lion's share of the effort and energy in the lowly, simplistic things. 
because they will fulfill what the Abishta wants. The Abishta wants to be in the lowest world. What it's, it's below my pay grade. Well, that's just unfortunate. That's what the Abishta wants to be. And that's what counts. Says the Rebbe, if that's too abstract and highfalutin, we'll translate it into practical brass tacks. Nowadays, says the Rebbe, this is in the, in the, in the, in the Lamed, in the 70s, we've got to translate things into simple language that people can understand. We're going to translate this into highly practical things, two areas of Yiddishkeit that have become weakened in recent times, and says the Rebbe, we have to address them. The first is a weakness, a general weakness in people learning practical halacha. Thank God, generally Torah learning is on the app. Both in the quantity of people who learn Torah and the quality of the Torah they're learning. But the focus on learning Torah with the objective of knowing practically how to live as a Jewish person. To, to produce rabbis who can actually give a clear answer on questions in the areas of the four books of Shulchan Aruch, particularly Erechaim, as we'll see, the part that's so relevant on an ongoing basis. That is something that is no longer an objective. It is no longer respected. It is something on the decline, God forbid. The fact that we don't know the areas of halacha that have to do with civil suits. It's because we live in, in, in countries where, you know, we have to conform, or perhaps we have good legal systems we can rely upon. Hopefully it won't cause any devastation. But to find out the areas of halacha that there is no jurisdiction in the, in the secular courts. Family life. Yeridea, kashus and the likes. And how much more so things that apply on a daily basis. The halachas that are relevant, not only on special dates, but every single day, that's what's called, the path of life. We've reached a point where there is a dearth of people who you could actually ask questions practically. What do I do? Let's say that you go to a person who is totally dedicated, full time in learning, as we say in today's world. I'm a frack by ma'alocha, and you ask him a practical halachic question. And for there, ich bin Sorry, I'm busy with Torah learning in an oifen von yagdil Torah at the highest academic levels. You know, we're we're steiging over here in Pilpul. In a way that is increasing and generating light. But you want me to give you a practical halacha about which brochet you say over that particular food? In Hilchas Tefillah, how you behave in davening in a certain circumstances? Or the Hilchas Krishma, when you say Shema in this way, that way, dress this way, person is in hospital, whatever. The person is this big boki bashas, never learned these halachas. When it comes to Rechaim, there's like a double problem. On the one hand, we lack Rabbonim who are clear in these areas of Allah who can actually Paskin. But then, on the other hand, every person thinks that they are equipped to be able to Paskin for themselves. In the absence of the rabbis, it's fine. I'll read the book myself and I'll decide. So you'll have a balabos who's a business person, not a rabbi. Hopefully somebody has Yerushalayim. If he's got a little sensitivity, he won't fool himself into thinking that he could render a halacha about the laws of divorce. Or other areas of, your, uh, of uh, even kashrus. So, if he has a question, an issue in one of those areas, at least he's humble enough or honest enough. He'll go find a rabbi who knows how to pass. 
Mashenkin Nerechayim, but when it comes to Nerechayim, do I have to say this bracha, not say this bracha, daven at this time, not daven at this time, or whatever else falls into the category of daily Jewish living? The person will convince himself that I'm also qualified, I also went to Yeshiva. I'll look in the, the, the abridged Tuchanarach. Possibly in Hebrew. And if I can't understand Hebrew, that's okay. Baruch Hashem is translated now into English, French, whatever it is. And because there's no rabbi to ask, because the rabbis only know the fancy stuff, he'll read the English and decide for himself what he should do. There was a massive debate at a, at a time whether you could extract practical halacha from the base Yosef without first knowing all of the classical sources. You can only imagine what happens when we start dispersing halacha into everybody's hands and allowing people to believe that they could come to conclusions based on something they read in the Kitzvah That is the inspirational message we should take from the Friedrich Rebbe's life from the Avodah from Balai Lula. Even at a time where it was literally an issue of putting his life, Chas V'Sholem, on the line, he invested to The Friedrich Rebbe at that critical time was setting up what today we call Rabbinic Yeshivas. That gives us a lesson to take home as the Allah anybody who's suited to this, or even somebody who might possibly be suited to this. Is with the massive Easter, the circumstances we're in now are so desperate. We have to be as careful as possible, as strict as possible. As strict as possible to get as many people as possible to learn practical Allah. When they do so, the merit of being part of the broader group of people who are learning will help them. Especially when we're talking about something over here that's not just relevant to a big group of people in a particular place. Under the current circumstances, this concept of having rabbis who know halacha, practical halacha, is relevant for hundreds of communities across the world, and certainly in the United States. Communities that currently don't have, talking again in the Lamads, the 70s, hopefully it's no longer the same, who don't have people who could pass in practical aloha. And not only that, there are hundreds of settlements in Israel. The land that the watches from the beginning to end of every year with special attention. So many Kirabonim. And they're all these settlements that don't have rabbis. So, so, when you create this, this opportunity to train up people who could actually paskan alocha, the schus of all of those people together will ensure that they have the siyata dishmai, they need the divine assistance to be able to decide the halacha correctly. To actually rule true rulings. And as the Gemara tells us, every time that a judge judges a halacha correctly, uh, it, you know, according to its truth, that person then becomes Hashem's partner in creation. That's the first thing to concentrate on. Produce Rabbonim, a compassion, practical halacha. It's necessary for the masses. The second issue, which is very pressing nowadays, is the type of education that children get. Because of the law of the land, both in the United States and other parts of the world, there's a very frightening situation, which is, the way that they've set things up is that a child not only a five-year-old even at the other stages where the Mishnah tells us by 10 the child should be learning the Mishnah at 13 fulfilling uh, commitment to mitzvahs at 15 learning Gemara 
Yet the state requires the law is that these children who should be learning Torah legally cannot go through a day of the school year without learning secular. And again, we have a lesson from the Fidu Kereb who literally risked his life and sent other Jews to risk and sometimes, unfortunately, lose their lives. With what purpose? To establish genuine schools for children. Schools based on genuine Jewish principles. Schools with an educational level of Yiddishkeit, that is the prime. And the Friedrich Kepa wanted to ensure that the classical way of Jewish learning should never change, even under those massively oppressive times. How much more so nowadays in our democratic countries. Nobody's life is on the line to learn Torah. We have to invest absolute effort. That our children have an education that is at the highest level of holiness. Without squeezing into the curriculum secular studies. And if it's not possible because there are legal issues from the state, then at least we should manage how much quantity. And I feel even those people who can't stand up to this incredible pressure. There are many ways that we could fulfill the legal requirements at the minimal level rather than the maximum level. It's not necessary to have the kind of level and quantity of secular studies in schools led by people with real Yerushalayim. All we need to do is awaken people and encourage people. That they don't have to be so responsible about fulfilling the requirements of the of the state. But we should be absolutely scrupulous about fulfilling Debishta's laws. Things that we are committed to by oath from Harsina long before there was a state, let alone its laws. And I, you will argue, the Gemara tells us we have to follow the law of the land. But there are a few things to consider. First of all, besides the fact that when it comes to Judaism, the Rebbe Rashab said in a discussion around the Russian laws of, of education that the Rebbe Rashab was fighting, he said, we Jews don't have anybody who's going to dictate us how to behave. <laughs> but let's even say that there are people who can't. They, they, they just can't stand up to this tremendous challenge to be able to only teach So within the structure that the state provides, we have to ensure that most of the time of the students, and most of the attention of the school to the student's education, should all be on the subjects of And only that which everybody acknowledges has to happen by law should happen. And das ist ein Zugang zu dem. That's in addition to the fact, very important fact, as das Lernen mit der Chel soll nicht sein in der Free Betrieb Salimod key thing that the Rebbe speaks about numerous times, that secular studies should not be early morning studies. Reishis Arisei as the Pasuk says, the first of your produce you give to the Ebeshter, the first, the best part of your day you give to the Ebeshter. That's for sure not illegal. 
that the beginning of Arisa Seichem, it's a play on words, Arisa Seichem is your dough, it's talking about the mitzvah of Chala, but Arisa is also your bed, so the first thing you do when you get out of bed is that you give, you designate a donation to Hashem, which means a donation of time and effort and energy. We should elevate right from the beginning of the day, elevate the child towards the Bishner. How do you elevate a child? How do you, because that's tarimo, right? Truma means to elevate. How do you elevate a child? By having the child learn Hashem's Torah first thing in the morning. Later in the day when the child's already tired. We don't have a choice. We give them the minimum requirement of secular. As we know, the Ebesh only demands of us that which we are capable of doing. Then you can be sure that with a little bit of effort, and with appropriate attention, we will be able to reduce how much time Jewish children are, in, 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 are caught up in, in, in secular. And the Ebesh will empower us to be able to give much, much more time and quality of Limudai Kodesh, of, of, of Jewish studies to the children. But to get there, we have to commit to these principles by and, and to get to commit to these principles, we have to acknowledge that they are actually absolutes. Because that's what the Torah says. That's what Aloka says. When we have that clarity and that commitment, we succeed. As you see in the Friedrich Rebbe's experience, Let's be honest. When the Friedrich Rebbe was in Stalinist Russia, nobody in their wildest imagination could have ever seen a way in which the Friedrich Rebbe's fight for Chinuch Altaras HaKadosh could have ever succeeded. Yet today we can actually see the product. We can see it with our own eyes. As we get our in gas in the greater Städten outside you can go into the massive cities in America, other Ergetsandish or other parts of the world. On my trip, one class for stamen from Eltern was an given with twenty or thirty years old to Medina Ahi. You will bump into people whose parents, or possibly grandparents, were children twenty years ago, forty years ago, in Russia. On my set, as the one class filled with bederich atayv and mitzvah. And you see that these children are committed to Torah mitzvahs. Oh my friend, you ask, How could it be? These are people who came out of Soviet Russia in the most oppressive time. How did they hang on to their Judaism? Do a little bit of investigation. You'll discover. As their father, either the person's father, or a guide in his life, a teacher, or the grandfather. They had a direct contact, either ongoing or short term, with either the Friedrich Rebbe or one of his representatives. And that was the person who aroused them to be dedicated to Yiddishkeit under the most terrible circumstances. On hot gelernt mit them, and that's somebody who learned with them, and hat sich behalten mit them zusammen auf Boden, oder in a Keller, kedet zu lernen wechule, and they hid in the same hiding place or cellar, whatever it was, in order to to learn together. And the Pharisees get driven by Yiddishkeit because of that sacrifice, they remain Jewish. Is al derech zeh by di alav as holchim berches of netzach zeh avoid. So therefore, the same applies to all of us who follow in the footsteps of the Friedrich Rebbe for all time, as durch die Stadlers in der Avoda Hanal. If we really apply ourselves to this avoider, which is from to really reinforce true Torah learning for our children, we will succeed in building Hashem's army, who will be the army that leads us out of Golos in the Gula to the ultimate Gula with Moshiach, it should happen immediately.